That is a great thing. Clap for that. God is doing amazing things in this place. And uh, another, another thing that uh, he's doing over the last couple of months, we've been in an elder selection process uh, here at Grace Fellowship. And uh, just to kind of update, <laughs> update you on that, I've been talking for uh, all morning. Um, Steve Wolliver has been an elder for many, many years. I don't even know how long. It's been a long time. And he uh, served as, as the chairman of our group and stepped down uh, last year in his service. Uh, Terry Reisner, many of you know him, he relocated this past uh, summer. And so uh, he left our team. And so uh, we are presenting t- uh, three new elders uh, to our elder team this morning. And I want to introduce all of them to you uh, so that you'll uh, hopefully catch a name with a, with a face. Uh, this is John Wilkinson. Uh, he is our our chairman of uh, the elder team. Uh, Joel Van Ravensway is serving as our, our treasurer on the team. Nick Coder is our secretary, and Trevor uh, is a member of the team. Has, uh, the, those are the current uh, elders. And then this morning, we're presenting Anthony Dixon, Danny Teleric, and Matt Miklos uh, to serve you, to lead you, uh, to guard you spiritually, to guide you spiritually. Uh, to uh, minister to you in whatever you uh, in all, whatever ways uh, that your life uh, needs, uh, make use of your elders. Uh, if you need counsel, if you need prayer, if you need a visit, uh, these uh, guys are here uh, to do that for you. And so we covet your prayers, your support, your cooperation, your partnership uh, in ministry as God is calling us forward in the life of this church. So if you uh, came with someone this morning, would you join hands with them? Uh, we want to unite in prayer over these men. And so I'm going to ask them to kneel and have the current elders lay hands on them as we ask for God's blessing. Uh, on these men. Father, we're thankful for what uh, you've done in this place, and Father, your faithfulness uh, assures us of your future for us. We ask uh, for clarity in that vision. We ask, Father, for provision and prosperity in all the things that you've called us to, especially, Father, this morning as we present these men to you. We pray for their uh, protection. We pray for their wisdom and discernment that you would resource them with everything that they need to to fulfill the calling that you've placed on their lives that they would uh, take seriously uh, their responsibility to guide this church and to lead this church and to guard this church. Father, that you would give them uh, all the wisdom and the gifting that they need uh, to serve and to minister those who are entrusted to our care. Father, we want to give you all the glory and the honor and the praise for what you accomplish in this place. And so, Father, use all of us as a body of believers uh, to live out your calling, to live out your mission in this community and throughout the world. Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you welcome these men to the elder team this morning? Thanks, guys. And then one other thing uh, that we need to talk about this morning, and then we'll get into our uh, 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 section of Scripture this morning. Uh, About this time last year, uh, the congregation committed in a three-year journey called For the Kingdom, excuse me, For the Community. Uh, And uh, For the Community is a campaign uh, looking at all of the different opportunities and ways that we can serve uh, the community, serve the area that we're in, uh, to be salt and light in our community, to be the hands and feet of Jesus in serving those particular needs. Some of the things that have already come out of this campaign is Kids Hope. Uh, We launched that at, at Wheatfield Elementary school this year. Uh, We just had our first uh, but not last Night to Shine event to serve uh, that segment of our community a couple of weeks ago. And uh, another thing that's coming out of that community uh, campaign 
is the indoor park. Uh, we haven't uh, talked about that lately. We want to give you an update on that. Here's a couple of slides. We have a name. Uh, it is the park on 8th. This is 8th Street that runs alongside the building, and the park is going to, uh, west of this building, uh, and it is called the park on 8th. Here's an out. Uh, an outside rendition of the, of the building. It's a, it's a simple structure, but it has lots of windows for light for the inside. Here's a picture of the inside. We have an upper level that looks down into the play area. We have a sitting area, a coffee area, plenty of family bathrooms, a meeting area. Uh, and then here's a slide. Uh, here's, a, here's a picture of what your children, your grandchildren, your nieces and nephews, your neighbor's children are able to enjoy as we, uh, as God uses this facility uh, to use Use us to connect to the community. Uh, this, is, this is an ever-present need in our community, and we believe God is calling us to provide this for the community. This is why we're doing this, uh, is to fulfill the mission that God has given us uh, as a church in the demont Weefield area, the northern Jasper County area. And so, as I said, many of you last year uh, made a three-year commitment to this project. Uh, our, our website is theparkon8th.com, and uh, we will have updated information on that website. You can go to that website now uh, and donate and contribute to this cause and this project, and so we encourage you to do that. Uh, and then in the weeks ahead, we will continue to update you on the developments uh, of this project. But this is what God is already doing uh, among you and with you. And so I think you need to give yourselves a hand for all that God is doing and God has done and what God continues to do um, in you. So um, with that in mind, uh, let's turn to James chapter 4. We are looking at the first 12 verses of this passage. Thank you, Cameron. Um, and uh, I'm just going to have you stand right now and we'll read this passage and then we'll get right into it. James chapter 4, starting with verse 1. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not, you do not have, rather, because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. Uh, to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against the brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Uh, this is going to be fun this morning, okay? <laughs> We're talking about fights and quarrels and anger and jealousy and judging. And in this 12 verses, 
James uses the pronoun you or yours 30 times. You. So before you sit down this morning, turn to the person that you came with and tell them that this is going to be about you today. Okay? And then you can have a seat. All right. Uh, As we begin, I want to put back up, uh, we finished chapter 3 last week, and the last verse in chapter 3 says, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I mentioned last week the problem with continuity and context when we're just taking uh, sections of the, of the letter out and just looking at that particular section and we kind of miss the overall theme of what James is trying to teach us or tell us in this passage. And you could summarize the entire letter of James in this one phrase that we saw a couple of weeks ago, faith without works is dead. Faith without works, a genuine follower of Jesus, a, per, a person of genuine faith, lives out that faith, a practical faith in a real world. That's what this series is called. What does faith look like in the everyday workings of life? And so James has been very practical, practical uh, to us. How we handle our suffering, uh, how we treat people. Uh, not with prejudice, but with equality, how we use our tongue, how we speak, and how we speak life into people. Uh, Last week, we talked about wisdom, and we saw this. uh, Wise people harvest righteousness, sown in peace. Wise people know how to get along with people. Think about your level of ability to get along with people. Foolish people know how to argue and create chaos, but wise people know how to pursue peace, reconcile. Wise people know uh, they're not peacekeepers, not peace at any price, but they know how to pursue, they know in the midst of conflict, they know how to operate, how to deal with the various differences uh, of people in that conflict, how to understand the various perspectives of individuals coming into this conflict, how to be honest and how to be forthright and speak the truth in love. All of this, wise people know how to put us on the path of peace. And so James is using this verse as a, this is a transition verse between the wisdom that he talked about last week and the conflict that we're going to have to deal with this week. Conflict. How many of you, any of you experience conflict, let's say over, just over the past week? Any, any conflict? Okay, some. Over the past weekend? This morning before you got to church? You know, just, it's kind of human It's human nature where two or three are gathered together, you'll find conflict. It's just endemic to daily life. And it it goes something like this in all of our relationships. You and I, you and I meet each other. Uh, We have good first impressions. I mean, you seem like an okay person. I seem like an okay person to you. Uh, We get to know each other. We begin to like what we're learning about each other. We kind of like the same things. We have the same kind of interests. We agree on a lot of stuff. Um, And so uh, I'm thinking, you know, we're kind of hitting it off. We could could be friends. We could have a a good relationship. This is, this is awesome. You're awesome. No, you're awesome. This is whole, we're both awesome. This is an awesome relationship. And it stays, this is really awesome for about a week or a month, or depending on how much time uh, you spend together, because in time, in that relationship, this is what happens with every relationship, because we're sinners in a relationship, this person that you thought was so awesome is actually quite human. You know, they have imperfections, they have flaws, they're, they're not, they, you discover they don't actually agree with you on everything. 
They don't li- actually like doing everything that you like to do. They, they voted for the wrong presidential candidate. Who, who is this person that I thought was so awesome? And then if you give yourself time to kind of calm down and realize he's human, she's human, I'm human, we're not perfect, we can get through this, we can get through our differences. And actually when you get through this, you know, I've often said that conflict is the doorway to, to deeper intimacy if you allow conflict to serve its purpose in your relationship, friends, it's not, conflict doesn't create the difference in your relationship. It reveals the difference in your relationship. And so if you're wise, you know how to navigate those differences, that conflict can give you an opportunity to understand each other better. That conflict opens the door to where you can appreciate one another better. You don't agree on everything. And so now you can understand each other a little bit better. And all of those opportunities, if we're wise to walk through those and to navigate those, your relationship doesn't just go on, but it actually gets deeper. It actually gets more meaningful, not in spite of the conflict, but because of the the conflict. Friends, this can happen in any relationship, from friends to coworkers to spouses to family members. And so uh, if you're, if you're, it's not the absence of conflict that builds a relationship. It's the navigating through the differences of those relationships that produce a harvest of righteousness because it was sown in peace by those who make peace, by those wise enough to work through the conflict toward reconciliation. So James in chapter 4 maps out how this uh, could look, how this should look, how this should play out in the life of a genuine Jesus follower. Faith without works is dead. And so a person with genuine faith processes conflict in a wise and godly fashion that brings about righteousness and peace, harmony. So how, let's, let's unpack this. I'm just going to pull out a couple of phrases in the passage that I just read. In verses 1 through 3, James asks this question, what causes the quarrels? What causes the fights? And he says, your passions are at work within you. Your passions are at work within you. Most of us, most of the time, think that our anger is rooted in someone else or in something else. You make me so mad. You drive me nuts. If you weren't so, or if you hadn't, if you were just, you never, or you always, it's you, you, you. And James says, no, no, no. Before it's ever a you issue, it's, it's a me issue. Anger and conflict, doesn't matter who it is or what's, what's involved in the Anger is simply one of the many options that we choose in reaction to the circumstances we face. I'll show how this happens. Scenario number one, I come home from work. It's been a great day. All my days at work are great. But, uh, you know, uh, everything, you know, ran smoothly. I'm, I'm feeling good about my life. I'm feeling good about myself. I'm feeling good about the world around me. I love everybody. Everybody's so awesome. And so I'm just so excited to get home. And I walk into a chaotic disaster. How do I respond? It's no big deal. We can handle this. We can fix this. What's going on? Let's talk about this. Let, tell me what's, what's, what's happening with you because, I, you know, this, this can all work out. Scenario number two. I come home from work. The day hasn't been that great. Actually, everything's gone wrong. And I'm feeling pretty bad. I'm, I'm emotionally drained. I'm spirit, I, I've dealt with so many people today that I can't wait to get home because the, la- you know, the last thing I want to do is deal with another person. And so I walk into a chaotic disaster. What do I do? You've got to be kidding me, right? I don't want to deal with your problems. Fix yourself. I, I, leave me alone, right? 
Now, the scenario has not changed. The only thing that's changed is you, how you've chosen to respond to the circumstances you face. Okay, so, what, you know, think about this. Why is it that someone can say something to you one day and you just blow it off, smile, and go your way? But another day, that same person can say the very same thing to you and you blow up and, and tear up the world. Why, why is that? The, the statement is the same. The, the person is the same. It's your choice of response to the circumstances that you face. James says before it's ever a you issue, it's a me issue. What's going on within me that creates the circumstance or the scenario that I'm dealing with. And so the cause, James would say that the cause of most all conflicts are these desires, um, uh, these desires that, that, that rule. He says your passions are at war within you. You have desires that are warring for your allegiance. You want something that you're not getting. And here's the, thing, here's the thing about human nature, friends. We're always wanting something. That was the mantra of my parenting. You girls always want something. Do you ever stop wanting something? Well, no, they don't ever stop wanting it. That's human. We all, we all want, it's, it's human desire that pushes us through life. We desire to survive. And so we desire food and water and rest. We desire pleasure and good things. We desire to enjoy life. We desire to be useful and purposeful and productive. We have hopes and dreams and desires that fulfill us and inspire us and motivate us, move us through life. James is not saying that desires are inherently wrong. He's just saying the first step to conflict is allowing unmet desire to control you. To allow unmet desire. What do you want? Why is, it, why is there conflict? Well, you want something. Do you know what you want? Do you even know what you want? Are you, are, why are you not getting what you want? Uh, is what you want something that you should want? Are you looking to the right source to get what you want? Or are you looking to the wrong source to get what you want? There is a war of desire within you. There's an internal conflict that finds its way out into your relational world that's creating this conflict. And, it's, and James is telling us it first starts in you to be a person of desire is not a sinful thing you don't please don't get that however friends good desires do not make good gods you might want to write that down good desires do not make good gods you have desires that are not being met you have desires that may not be right you may have desires that may be good but good desires do not make good gods and so when we allow those desires to control us at the expense of everything else in our lives well, then we have the anatomy of an ungodly conflict. I want to talk about this for a second. Ungodly conflict does not uh, uh, reap a harvest of righteousness or peace. It creates conflict, fights, and quarrels among us. How does this happen? Well, this comes out of a book entitled How People Change by Tim Lane. And he first uh, uh, lets us understand or helps us to understand that there are three major ways that we fight. Uh, what kind of a fighter are you? Uh, some of you are winners. You never lose an argument. It doesn't matter who's right or who's wrong. It doesn't matter who you're fighting with. You will not lose. You're winners. Some of you are losers, not pleasers. You know, you never win an argument. You just, you apologize even when it's not your fault. Now, many of you, because you're, you're people pleasers, are also passive aggressive, which means you let people win and then you pout. <laughs> You, you find a way to get your way passive-aggressively. 
Or, and there's some of, the, some of you that are just simply avoiders. You don't go there. You don't want to go there. You don't want to talk about it. You will avoid conflict at all costs. And here's, here's how this happens, okay? Um, you've got a desire. And it may be a good. It may be a legitimate. It may be an understandable desire. But you have to remember, good desires do not make good gods. And you have to hold, so you have to hold that desire lightly because you live in a world that does not revolve around you. If you were here last week, we made this point. You... You are not the point. You are not the point. The world does not acquiesce to you. The world does not serve your needs. The world does not wake up every morning deciding how to make you happy. Okay, you live in the world with other people who have other desires. And so you have, back to the scenario, you come home from work and you're tired. Rightfully so. And you can't, think of nothing, you can't think of anything else but, you know, kicking off your shoes and resting in your chair and waiting for somebody to bring you dinner. You know, everyone needs rest. We all understand that. You, but, you, but you come home into, and you walk into a chaotic disaster. And so now you have a choice. Am I going to surrender my desire for the good of others? Or am I going to hang on to my desire? Don't bother me with your problems. I want to rest. In fact, I don't, I don't just want to rest. I deserve to rest. And my desire has now uh, transitioned into, into a demand. I, I demand to rest. Don't bother me with you. I need to rest. And that's, you know, it, now I need to, if you want things to go to well, you're going you're gonna to let me do what I want, which transitions in, into an expectation. If you love me, you're going to let me do what I want because it's essential to my well-being. And if you don't let me do what I want, if you don't fulfill my expectation, then I'm going to be disappointed in you. And you don't want that because when I'm disappointed in you, I will make you pay. (laughs) I don't know when and I don't know how, but I'm not going to forget this. And so at some point, just be aware, I'm going to even the score. All because we had a desire that was unmet. All because of a desire that we were unwilling or unable to surrender to the needs of others, to the desires of others. Friends, you've heard this before. Unrealistic expectations lead to premeditated resentments, premeditated resentments. Much, friends, much of the disappointment in relationship is not because people have wronged you. It's just because they haven't done what you wanted. And so you allow that desire to turn into a need and a demand and an expectation and an ultimate punishment and a conflict in your relationships, all because you wanted something that you didn't get. Is it a, is it a legitimate desire? It may be, but that, that's not the question, friends. Is, is it a good desire? That's not the issue. The issue is, are you willing? We talked about wisdom and righteousness, doing the right thing, doing what's prom- what promotes peace and harmony. Are you willing to sacrifice your desires for the desires of others? And so James is warning us here. When you allow your good desire to become a God in your life, when you allow your own desires to control you, all it can do is create the potential for conflict in your life. It robs you of the righteousness and peace that you want in your life. Good desires do not make good God. So the question isn't, do, do I have a legitimate desire? The question really is, what, whose kingdom am I trying to build here? Whose kingdom am I trying to build here. My greatest struggle in life is I, that I, I want to be the point, right? I, I, I like to be the point. I want, I want to I I build my own kingdom, and I want my kingdom to stand, and I want all of you people to be loyal subjects in my kingdom, and life would go well if you people would just serve the king. <laughs> and so James is giving us a window into how all of our sinful hearts work. Friends, we are all kingdom builders, 
And the constant struggle with Jesus followers is this conflict ruling our own kingdom or surrendering our kingdom to the rightful king. The king who, by the way, surrendered his rights to save you. And so James goes on, verse 4, he says, you adulterous people. Now, that's pretty strong language, isn't it? What is adultery? I mean, at, you know, uh, before we get into that, friends, on the flip side of that, he's actually speaking to your identity. You're a Jesus follower, which means you are the bride of Christ, right? Jesus died to have a relationship with you. He went to the cross to be your husband. He wants you to be his bride. He wants this close, intimate, loving relationship with you. And so what is adultery? Only married people can, can commit this particular sin by taking the love belonging to one and giving it to another. And so in your married relationship with Jesus, uh, we, we're unfaithful to him when we're trying to build our kingdom in conflict with his kingdom. The prophet Hosea in the Old Testament is a good example, uh, illustration of this, where uh, Hosea the prophet was called to marry a woman who was unfaithful to him. And this woman just kept going off and sleeping with other men. And her prostitution illustrated Israel's sin of adultery against God. God was their husband. And yet Israel kept building their own kingdom. And James says, this is, this is what you and I are like. We claim that Jesus is the point, but we're always trying to make ourselves the point. And so we have kingdoms in conflict. So James goes on and, and talks. You can't be friends with the world and friends with Jesus. You can't be married to Jesus and have a relationship with someone else. And that's exactly, I mean, do you remember Jesus saying that? You can't serve two masters you'll either love the one or you hate you can't be friends with both you can't it doesn't work loving one is hating the other and so James is telling us this is this is where all of this conflict is coming from Uh, you're you're trying to live in two kingdoms you're desiring to rule your own kingdom by giving uh, trying to make Jesus the king in your life and it's messing up your peace and your relationships and our, our kingdoms are in conflict because our kingdoms are in conflict with the rightful king. And so what does God say to that? What does God say to that? This is pretty amazing, friends. If you look at verse five, the cure to all of this is grace. And he says this in verses five and six, that God yearns for you jealously, that he opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This, this is an incredible statement in the middle of James being, he's coming quite, He's coming down quite hard on us. You, you fight and you quarrel and you're jealous and you're selfish. And, you're, and then in the middle of this passage, he says, God yearns for you. God loves you. He's your husband. You're his bride. He is jealous for your love. Not in the way that we generally understand jealousy. Like, you know, there's an unrighteous anger and there's a righteous anger. Friends, there's an unrighteous jealousy. And usually we demonstrate jealousy out of our own fear and insecurity, trying to protect the kingdom that we have. But friends, God has nothing to protect. He's not insecure. He's not not fearful. Uh, He is God. And yet he desires us. He wants a relationship with us in the midst of our rejection and our selfishness and our rebellion. He, like Hosea, is a husband time after time after time pursuing Gomar, keeping after Gomar, jealous for the love of Gomar, will not stop loving Gomar and calling Gomar back into relationship with him. Even while we're straying, the Bible tells us in the midst of our selfish, petty, unrighteous anger, God is pursuing us with his love, constantly calling us back to himself. He gives us more grace. He relentlessly loves us and never gives up on us. How, how does one respond to that kind of love? When you're friends with the world and Jesus goes to the cross to win you back. Friends, only the humble experience and understand what that's like. Only those who are willing to admit their selfishness 
in the rebellion truly understand what the love of God means in your life. And that's why James says in verses 7 and 8, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. Don't, live, try, don't try to live in two kingdoms. Draw near to God. God will draw near. Mourn and weep. Humble yourselves. That, this whole, these verses can be summarized in the word repentance. You know, cha- have a reorientation of your heart. Allow the mind to be changed by the love of God. Realize how much God loves you and let that love transform you into a person from selfishness to service, an acknowledgement that our own kingdom building is just creating a destructive conflict in our lives. But when we make Jesus the king, every time I make myself the point, this is all I get. But when I make Jesus the point, when I allow God to sit on his rightful throne, then that's when life starts to fall into place and I actually get what I'm looking for. Bottom line, I need to be, I need to be rescued from me so that others can be rescued from me. I need to dismantle my own kingdom and to allow the rightful king on his throne. So what's the consequence of that when we do that? Well, friends, it's the peace and the harmony that we all want. It's, it's being able to get along and enjoy one another and understand one another and, and support one another. What happens when selfish anger gives way to humble repentance and surrender to the kingdom of God? Well, in verse 11... Uh, and he's speaking negatively, but he's, act, he's actually implying the positive. Do not speak evil against one another. Friends, when you, uh, when you understand the grace of God, when, you, when you're willing to admit your selfishness and surrender that selfishness to, to the kingdom of God, then you refuse to speak evil against your brother. You refuse to... What is the law that he's talking about in this passage? Well, Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. To love others as I have loved you. There's only one law, the law of love. And so when we understand grace, when we submit to his grace and surrender our selfishness, God pours out the grace that we need for humble repentance and harmonious living. Out of the overflow of that grace, well, how could I ever say anything negative about you? God loves me so much. I am so overwhelmed by the grace of God. How could I ever judge you for your imperfections when I am so imperfect? imperfect and yet God loves me how could I ever speak evil against my brother when God in my own rebellion went to the cross to save me I am not the point and so I don't have a kingdom to protect I don't have to promote myself or protect myself or defend myself I don't have to be at odds with you I don't have to be in competition with you I don't have to one-up you I can I can encourage you I can, I can serve you, I can love you, I can forgive you, I can want the best for you. So how, so how does this work? James, uh, James gives us a godly process for conflict uh, when we find ourselves, when we find our selfish desires creating this disorder and chaos in our lives. And so uh, uh, an, an ungodly process produces conflict. A godly process produces peace and righteousness. And so different situations require uh, different approaches. Here's the anatomy of a godly conflict. Uh, there, there's three choices, warn, confront, encourage, or help. Sometimes in a conflict, Conflict, you find yourself in a conflict, and it requires of you, it needs from you truth and grace, speaking the truth in love, setting the appropriate boundaries and consequences in a relationship that's harmful to protect ourselves from harm and hurt. Sometimes we need to speak the truth in love. Sometimes we just need to encourage. Hurting people hurt people. 
And so you find yourself in a conflict just because there's something coming out of this person. The internal conflict, it's working its way into the outside relationships of their life. So a wise person with a little bit of understanding knows to ask some questions and do a little digging. Why are you angry? Why are you behaving this way? Why did you say that to me? What's going on with you that would cause this emotional response in you? Where are you hurt? Where are you struggling? Where can I encourage you? A wise person knows how to understand or to dig out that understanding. And a person, sometimes it just requires understanding and sometimes it just requires help. Someone's in a difficult situation and they're, and they're, and they're playing it out on you when serving them, loving them, helping them. Could erase that conflict? And so James gives us this kind of process when he works through these verses. How does this work? Well, first of all, you need to understand yourself. There's a, there's a level of self-awareness that's required in you navigating the conflict in your life. What's driving your anger? What's producing this conflict in your life? What do you want? Do you know what you want? Is what you want something that you should have? Are you looking for the right, in the right source uh, for, for what you want? Understanding what's going on inside of you is the first step to alleviate the conflict and pursue righteousness and peace. Here's the second thing, understanding the gospel. Understanding the gospel. What is the gospel? God loves you and you don't deserve it. In your selfish rebellion, God loved you which can give, give us a lot of patience and compassion to, to those who are being selfish in that moment. Here's, uh, here's the deal. Friends, God understands your desires. He is for you. He wants the best for you. you. You know what you want, but you don't always know what is best. And so a loving father knows what you want, but also knows what is best. Parents in the room, your children grow up in all their developing years. They grow up asking two questions of you. They may verbalize it, but they probably won't. But they're, they're living out these two questions under your parenting. Number one, do you love me? And the second question is, can I do what I want? Every child wants to know from their parents, do you love me? Can I do what I want? And every wise parent answers yes to the first question and no to the second. Yes, I love you. I love you unconditionally. There's nothing that you could do to make me not love you. I will always love you. I will never fail in loving you. I will be faithful in my love to you. I love you. Two, no, I am your parent. My job is to save you from yourself, to protect you from your own foolish desires. And so if you understand my love, you will also understand my correction. Okay, God, God loves you. God loves you. He knows what you want. But he also knows what is best. And so sometimes you just need to be rescued from you. And you need to be, be protected from your own foolish cho choices. Ushers, we're coming into a time of communion. I, I, if you want to get ready from that, understanding grace, friends, understanding how much God loves you should reorient our hearts and our minds in the way that we deal with the conflict that we experience in life. If we could all just die to ourselves, dismantle our own kingdoms, how much righteousness and peace would we all experience? And so as we're entering into this time of communion, I just want to pose this question for you to think about and pray about as we celebrate what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Do you have a kingdom? Do you have a domain that you're trying to protect? Are you expecting everyone around you to be loyal subjects in your realm? And what would the Spirit of God say to your spirit about your desire to be your own king? 
Here's the gospel, friends. Jesus left his kingdom to rescue you out of yours. And he shares, uh, Paul shares this passage of scripture. I'm going to read this to you, and then we're going to have a time of celebration. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Are you trying to protect your own kingdom? Are you trying to build your own kingdom? How's that working for you? You have a Jesus who loved you with the cross. He left his kingdom, his throne, to rescue you from yours so that you could have the life that you ultimately want. Think about that as we celebrate what he has done for us. Would you pray with me? We thank you, Father, for this time of communion that reminds us every week that we are not the point. And when we make you the point, we experience the abundance of life you died to give us. And so, Father, in these moments as we celebrate what you've done for us, speak to our spirits about how we need to respond and the relationships that we need to deal with and the desires that we need to conquer and surrender. Father, may we enjoy your kingdom, life in your kingdom, as we submit ourselves to the rightful king. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.